Before we get going this week, I thought I'd just remind you that I'm a certified business strategist who's been in property for over 25 years. I know my clients shortcut their success by being laser focused through strategy and mentoring, as no one business model fits us all because funding, geography, skill set, it all plays a part in deciding what works for you. Getting it wrong can definitely damage your wealth. If you're serious about property, then your first step is a call with me. Nothing more difficult than following the link in the show notes to book it. Hello, and welcome to the Property Solopreneur podcast, a show for property investors and developers who want to build and grow their own profitable businesses. I'm sharing with you my decades of property experience and interviewing many other successful property people who are happy to share their varied and priceless knowledge freely. Business doesn't need to be hard, and nor do you need to be lucky. But as a certified strategist, I know you need a plan to work to. And a good start is by listening to other people's successes and failures. Why reinvent the wheel? This allows us to have a more in-depth knowledge of the wider property world. Welcome to this week's episode of The Property Solopreneur. And letting agents are a fundamental part of my wealth creation. Yes, there are landlords who self-manage been there, done that, but it's not scalable. The letting agent you use and their staff are your right-hand men. So why is it that I rarely hear any conversation about good or bad agents in property meets? There's lots of chatter about accountants, ditto solicitors. But letting agents, I believe, can't be chosen just on price. They do too much for us just to be a number. Because what sort of landlord are you? How do you work? What do you want an agent to do on your behalf? And most importantly, do they work with your kind of tenant or your property niche? I'm talking to Chris Jones of Jones & Co here up in Norwich, who's very visible in the landlord world because he's a pin host and we meet him regularly at other property meets. Well, that set him apart for a start. In preparation for this episode, I did a quick ring round my agents. I've got five scattered across the country. Now, four didn't know there were property meets. The fifth knew, and either he or a member of his staff go. The four who were in the dark were frankly sceptical about the whole investment meeting mentoring space and were uninterested in learning more about it. Perhaps that's why they've got smaller lettings departments and sales. Who knows? But back to Chris. His view is very interesting because he understands both the landlord and the agency's business on an equal footing. Well, hello. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time this morning, Chris, to come and talk to us. Now, you are that much maligned thing called a letting agent, aren't yeah. you? And that is one of those things that I think more of us should know more about because you're absolutely critical. Everyone always talks about their power team, but you are critical in the whole letting out bit of property, which is what we're here for. So will you start off by telling us you know, why did you get into nettings? It's hard work, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is hard work. I prepped that question earlier and I, I came up with three reasons. And I think they sort of um, come at different times. But I think the first reason was, you know, we had a book, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And a lot of people have read that, obviously a bit of a cult book. His second one kind of struck me a little bit in a slightly different way, the cash flow quadrant one. And he said, all a business is, is a set of systems that you own that creates profit give or take something like that. So the idea became own assistant. 
Um, okay, cool. So that sort of sits in the mind for a few years and that kind of thing. And I found property networking about 10 years ago. So uh, the PIN meeting, it was a place I could go and guilt-free talk to other landlords, lettings professionals and property professionals. And they kind of understood what you were saying, like self-development or, you know, wealth creation. And that they weren't rude words. They were okay to say in that room. So I kind of liked it and then kept going, really. Um, and then host at the time in the January meeting asked, what are your goals for this year? Didn't have any, didn't have any deposit money. So I thought, I don't know, I'm just going to carry on coming and not much else really. But he didn't get, didn't let me get away with that. So he asked me to put a number on a bit of paper. So I said, let's, well, I don't know, 2,000 pounds a year from property. That sounds, that sounds like a good goal. So I wrote it down, not knowing how to do that, but that was okay. Um, and then the next year, next month or two, I basically stood up in the pin meeting and said, I can manage your properties for you because I already self-managed um, only three of my own at the time. And I thought, well, I can probably do it with other people, can't I? Um, yeah. <laughs> and anyway, to my surprise or to my delight or whatever, some people said yes. So we took on our first property from a pin meeting. So all of a sudden, I was a business owner managing one property, someone else's. And at that point, I kind of had to learn how to do it properly. Yes, and that that is the thing, isn't it? Doing it properly. Because there are an awful lot of people who self-manage and uh, you know, life goes fast. They have no idea that rules have changed. They've no idea that there are certain things you have to do. Letting agents, it is a, it is a requirement that you know what you're doing, isn't yeah. it? How, how, do you, how do you learn? I think you're plugged into various channels, I think. So what really helped me in the first sort of year or so was I had to present to the pin meeting room that I knew what I was doing. So I had to sort of demonstrate that. So I had to so learn, basically. And now I've been a part of a, a lettings community for quite some time. That definitely keeps you abreast of all the goings on because the things that they hear, you hear. So I think you're plugged into the networks and obviously all the sort of CDP training that you've, you've got to do as, as, a, as a letting agent, really. And I guess it's it's the questions you get from every landlord or every tenant, you have to come up with a good response. So you, you know because, you're, because you've answered that question several times, really. Yes, it must get to be a point when actually nothing's a surprise. Not often, less less so these days. You, you find better ways of dealing with the situation, I think, as you go. You know, we deal with things much better than we did, you know, five years ago or even two years ago. But I think a lot of that comes down to systems and process, which we could go into later. But Absolutely. But systems and processes are vital for every single business. Yeah. They really are. And a lot of people really do come into property thinking this is a freewheeling moment, isn't yeah. it? You just blow into property and you, you do a bit of visiting and you do a bit of talking to this person and it all just happens and the money falls in your bank. And that could not be further from the truth. But you started off as a letting agent. And the landlord, you have properties, you understand our needs. Yeah, I started from the landlord side of things. So not, I'm, I'm an accountant by training. So, you know, spreadsheets and process and systems and checklists, kind of, I understood that stuff. It honestly doesn't actually come all that naturally to me, but I did 20 years of it, so I was okay at it. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of understood from the landlord side of things what, what, what was needed. So having, having got that background... Why do you think so many landlords are sniffy, difficult, dismissive of the role of a letting agent? I, th I think you could probably look at ourselves as letting agents a little bit for that, really. So I think it's, it's ultimately a lack of understanding of, of what happens and, and the sort of steps that need to go through. Not, not just legislation steps, but even something simple like arranging a gas certificate can be complicated if you've got to go from contractor to landlord to tenant and and that kind of stuff. And that's just a process of management. And that can be, you know, even something simple as that can can turn into an, an issue if it's not managed well. 
But I think if I think the lifting industry probably needs to do a better job of demonstrating value, ultimately, and, and that's probably our fault. But I, I think you know one of our mentors, Sally Lawson, talks about letting agents. You're great at getting things done, and you're great at process and paperwork. Cool. Almost by definition, you're not great at promoting yourself. So I think yeah. this probably goes hand in hand. That the type of person who's quite good at lettings is probably not so good at the marketing side of things. Perhaps. Yeah, I think that's possibly quite true. But it is, it's a great mistake. I mean, I always talk about the fact that even though, you know, we, I use letting agents, it's still ultimately my responsibility under law, isn't it, you to make what? sure that everything is correct? Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, as, as an agent, it's, it's the law of agency, isn't it? So you, you act under instruction. Um, and there's some things you don't need instructing on because it's in the contract, i.e. get a gas out, get an EICR and, you know, find tenants for me, et cetera. But ultimately, yes, it is the landlord's responsibility. But I, I kind of see the landlord and the agent relationship um, side, shoulder to shoulder, side by side. It's joint responsibility. Um, it's not one or the other. And from that respect, it, it, it should feel like a partnership, I think, yes. as opposed to I pay you to do a job, crack on and do it. I mean, there is a bit of that, but I think it should be slightly more collaborative than that often. Um, and some lands are great, great at that and some landlords aren't, but I think that's just people in general. That's not a trying to stereotype it's just just a general people thing absolutely because there are an awful lot of laws that apply to landlords and lettings aren't yeah. there yeah does that sort of weigh you down or do you just you know you just think hang on for most people most landlords particularly new ones you have no idea just what you're supposed to be doing yeah i, I come across um quite quite frequently kind of the phrase i am a good landlord and i think that comes from a good place i am a good landlord if your property is not compliant, you're not. <laughs> it is that simple, isn't it? You might it? think you are, and you might have the intention to do the right things, but then there's lack of knowledge that you didn't know that kitchen door needed a fire door, the alarm needed... You know. So most people want to do a good job. There aren't, it's, it's, there's no one that I really meet that doesn't want to do a good job, to be honest. But a definition of a good job is a bit different, I think. So, you know, keeping the house clean, tidy, up to spec. And I think sometimes, land, as an agent, we have the privilege of seeing lots of houses... And we, we see yeah. like a cross section of the market, good, bad, and indifferent. So I think I think some landlords see their stuff and assume their stuff is good. Uh, and sometimes it's great. And sometimes landlords really want to be at the top of the tree and you know don't accept any level of kind of you know, deterioration property. Um, but some landlords only see their own. And if they're not kind of educated on the standard they need to be at, i.e., this needs decorating, would you live here? Kind yeah. kind of questions. I think that's sometimes a challenge, but it. It's never come from a bad place. I'm not spending money because I'm, no, I don't want, it's, I didn't, I didn't know that was the case. Yes, but I, I have to, I, I came across a client the other day who is just starting out in, in property and had, it was quite interesting, was a lawyer by trade. And the attitude was, right, Rachel, before we go any further, no. what can we write into the AST? Because I'm a lawyer. I want this done. This, uh, how, how can I get the, the tenant to be charged for this, the tenant yeah. to do that? And I want this to be checked. And I went, well, you know, these are people who live in houses. Why are you expecting them to live your way of life in, because, just because you own it? Do you find sometimes you have to educate clever landlords sometimes as to less is more? I haven't come across that too much, but I, I do understand the point of, can I put that in tenancy agreement? Can I put that in tenancy agreement? And I guess there's a lot of stuff you can, but there's a lot of stuff you can't because it's against the law and the law will prevail. But then I think, well, what, what are you going to do with that information? Because you might be able to put it in, 
But it is always a negotiation. Nine times, 99 times 100, it's negotiation. It's not a legal thing. It's negotiation between two people. Like you said, it's a tenant, who you know, person and a landlord, and then you negotiate the point. Now, the garden wasn't tidy enough, for example, at checkout. Okay, I, because it was in the contract, are you going to sue again? No, you're not. So it is a conversation. You can, you can, you can make it clear that that's your expectation, but if the expectation falls short, how do you get that? How, what do you do with that information? Are you going to, you're not going to get a court against it. You might go for a DPS claim, but to be honest, that's a pain. Yes. It's all about, I think, a lot more about relationships. And it's exactly the same on the tenant side as well. Because I think there is this natural them and us scenario, which is unfortunate. And I don't know how quite to get around it. We, we've got a few sort of ways to think about it. But the natural, you know, the them and us tenant landlord relationships, almost by nature difficult because, you know, I think both party wants something. What? Yeah, one person one person owns it and feels that this is their, you know, that this is a way of making money yeah. and everything else, and almost begrudges, although they they intellectually understand a tenant's got to live in there. They almost intellectually argue against it, going, "But it won't be perfect if there's someone living in it, living a life." You know, and part of it, I suppose, is they're thinking, "Well, if I was living there, it'd be a wreck in two seconds flat." Uh, you know, so it's it's very interesting this constant checking. So that leads very nicely onto this whole subject of deposits, which wraps people up into knots, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Because I remember dealing with, uh, you know, I have not long stopped dealing with um, somebody who set up a a letting agent purely because in the old days, you could take all those deposits and put them all in your own bank account and then take all the interest. Uh, Of course, things have changed. That's absolutely verbatim now. But deposits have really changed and I, for instance, if someone's lived in my property for over five years, I'm going to hand the deposit back because it's not going to do anything for me now. And frankly, it's a waste of time and effort and we all hate them. Is, is you know, from a, from a letting agency perspective, are more people not using deposits or is this, is the deposit system expanding? How's it staying? I, I think, I haven't seen a drop in deposits. There's obviously um, a different product in the market in the last two or three years called Deposit Replacement Scheme. Yeah. We haven't done any of it, to be honest. But yeah, that, that is an option. I think I think deposits are important, but I think you're right. It ties people in knots, and, and the truth is, it ties me in knots as well. Because because I think this because the, the, there's judgment involved. Yeah. And when there's judgment involved, and two people are talking about the same issue, there will be a difference of opinion, particularly when it's a tenant landlord. So I think as an agent, you've got to try and make it as clear as possible in using best advice from the industry. And there's a lot, there's a lot of it. Knowledge isn't the problem. <laughs> there's loads of there's loads <laughs> of information out there. I think it's interpreting it in this kind of stuff. And the tenancy agreement is there to help, you know, it's there to be clear. So re- read that, I think, as is, is the first protocol. What is a tenant responsible for? What is a landlord responsible for? You know, click cleaning is a classic. Yes, very, very. I mean, I've just had someone who's moved in and thrown a complete track two days after they've moved in and demanded that it was professionally cleaned. And you just go, but it was, but it's just that you've moved in. And and I, as someone who's lived in 19 rental properties in my yeah. time, I can tell you, I never moved into a house that was as clean as the one I left. And that that is absolutely a fundamental human perception, isn't it? Is. it? Um, yeah. Know, of, course they, of course those houses were clean than I moved in, just that I, you know, that was just the way I saw it. But gang, tenants are funny things. How has the ban that's come in on on tenants paying for so much really affected your work? Because I know when I was a, I was running a small letting agency, tenants always paid the wages. Yeah, 
Yeah. I, I mean, we probably started a little bit, we started b- b- before that band came in and I, I was in full-time employment at that time. And in 2019, you couldn't charge. It, the, the biggest one that was, was a tenant setup fee, the, the application fee or what it, what it was called. We're mainly student orientated and we didn't charge students for the application process. Rightly or wrongly, we, we found ourselves not having to. Right. So when the band came in, well, we didn't charge students anyway, so we did lose that money, but we did have to up our game in terms of, you know, charging landlords what was right in the right amount. So we did put an increased fee onto landlords for tenant fine tenants. It's in the market, within the market range. So I think, weirdly, we escaped that hard shit, I think. Um, but I can totally see how, because how, if, if it's 20, 30% of a, of a, of a, of a business's turnover, that is all of the profit, easily, yeah. easily all of the profit. If the profit, if the profit of the business makes ten or twenty percent, they are now no longer viable as a business, which is super scary. And that's been a few years since that's been in place. So I, th- I think the agents that exist now have probably weathered that storm and come to terms with it. But I think there's, 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 there's as in any business, I guess there's constant pressure, isn't there, on expectations and what the market demands of you and your time and your service and the cost of delivering that service, wages, co- you know, everything, all, all that stuff. Absolutely. And from a landlord's point of view, we're being, we're asking um, lessee agents to do more and more, aren't they? I mean, you know, when I first started, you know, yes, we had, we didn't have electrical checks, we didn't have EPCs. We did have landlord gas tickets, but that was about it. And suddenly you've got these repetition happening every year that you've got people going out there. So you've got to be faster on on repairs. I mean, in the old days, you know, you want to repair, I can't afford it till next year. That sort of thing won't, won't work now. So you've got to take on more uh, more staff and actually better equipped staff, I would say, than in the past. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, like and like you say, better 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 process i think um so Ooh. you don't have to do too much thinking in because you know, this thinking is the stage bad, of the yeah. process so do this and then do this and then do this um yeah. i mean this when is a landlord we've got to expect to pay for that uh, yeah i mean it's the landlords i mean everyone's under so much pressure at the minute i mean it, i mean it is, yeah. it is so much going on at, at the minute and i'm almost looking forward to 2026 when hopefully the world's calmed down a bit but i don't think it's going to happen before then got two years of interest rates and you know whatever else but so there's lots there's so much to deal with but to that point if if you know if, if landlords want properties managed well um yeah good agents are, are important but those agents have got to be viable um yeah yes it's really easy to say yes to a lot and the default position for most people is can you do that yes yes they can i mean for for example we're, we're just arranging a um a smart meter install dead simple happens you know well, I say it's simple. <laughs> you've got to you've got to do that. But that technically isn't part of letting agent service. That's not managing repairs. That's that's not managing the tenancy. That's a landlord asking you to put something else into their property. Technically, yeah. it's probably a chargeable thing, but that hasn't really entered our heads. So we therefore don't charge it. We just kind of arrange it and do it and we kind of go. But that, I think the expectation is for, from landlords, do everything that's required for my property, thanks. Yes, that is absolutely, particularly those of us who are quite a way away from our properties. So, um, you know, all the agents that I work with actually up front say, if you want me to do anything else, these are my daily rates and, and we get on with it. And certainly when I first came into the industry, if if I need an eviction happening, 
I just gave it straight to the agent and he dealt with it. Well, he would even go to court for it. Yeah. Uh, that's just so not going to happen now, is yeah, it? Yeah, I think, I think again, agents, I've been caught out by this, but um, I think to how, how qualified is your agent and where are you comfortable in passing that responsibility on? So just an example, serving Section 21 paperwork, it's a fairly straightforward form to fill in. There are certain things you have to do before that point. Now, have all the certificates been served correctly? So yes or no, and your, your, your agent might know that, but if they took on the tenancy, they might not know that, so they've got to go and do that again. So let's assume your agent can do that for you. That's great. And let's assume that on the, you know, two, two months later, your, your, your tenant is still there. Mm. Now is your, ten, your, your agent equipped to deal with that? Some, some are and some aren't, I think. But by, by, as the agent saying, yes, they are equipped to do it, they take on that responsibility, liability, et cetera, for doing it correctly. Now, I just... I suspect that's one of the areas that I would probably start to say I'm not comfortable after this point. Yeah. Um, because expect in my experience, I don't do it every day, you know, so I don't don't have big tenants every day. So therefore I'm not as okay as I could be, or maybe someone else is. Yeah, so and it is a pretty important thing, isn't it? So it is it is worth if you are a professional landlord, treating this completely professionally and just going, Yep, you know, my letting agent will do all these things. But actually, I will now bring in an, another person whose expertise is this. They all work together. In fact, you know, my investigation does work with my solicitors about that. But it is, we all know our area of expertise. Now, you mentioned the fact that you are predominantly student. This frightens the life out of some people, isn't it? Students, you know, these are new little pink humans who are, um, you know, living away from home for the first time. Are they a different? Are they different to manage to normal, straightforward professional people? Yes, but I'd, I'd also say potentially easier because so if you sort of take the HMO world to which we operate in, broadly speaking, student HMOs, professional HMOs, student HMOs, group of five people, one AST, professional HMOs, five individuals, five ASTs. Um, so there's one agreement of five agreements. That that's the difference ultimately. So a professional might you know be older more experienced and slightly more savvy but there's five of them and they can all talk to you about anything at any point and in a student group i think the, the main thing about students i would say is it's the education but how, how would you expect any a student or you know, an 18 or 19 year old to know what happens when the lights go out yes <laughs> I, I wouldn't have known that at 18 i, mean, I may have done may not have done but it's probably the fuse board or something else and yes. it's, it's simple, how to run a house, you know, the, 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 even the, the plumbing and the heating and electrics is a thing. How to, it, also, how to live with somebody else, because it's probably the first time, and I think, I think this is difficult the world over, living in close proximity to someone who's not your family member is tricky, you know, whether you're 18 or 80. And, and I think that can be tricky. So relationships is another thing that sometimes you, you find yourself getting drawn into. Um, less so with student groups, more so with professional groups. You know the fridge, <laughs> fridge management. <laughs> oh, right, fridge management. I mean, who knew that was a thing? Did really? <laughs> you get, you, you get, you get a call about it. Oh, right. You know? And so what? And the thing about students is, is they come in all at the same time and they go out yeah. at the same time. So your agency and those that manage students must have big peaks at these move in, move out yeah. times. So do you have to have extra staff at that kind of time of year? We have extra team members, I suppose, in the way of cleaning team, to be honest, but we don't right. recruit for it. There is, there's definitely a spike in overtimes, there's definitely a thing. Um, but but the check-in, the check check-out season or weekend or, week, you know, the, the period, it, I hate to say it, is over 
dramatized a bit. So it's busy. It is busy. Don't get me wrong, but we can cope with it. We'll be fine. We'll get through it. It's, so it, w- it will be okay. And it doesn't last that long. So we keep a, we've got a, a dilemma for an agent, I think, is keeping a gap long enough that you can do what you need to do well enough, but keeping it short enough so you don't create a month void for a landlord that doesn't need a month void. So right. our gap is extending as we go, to be honest. So it used to, it used to be back three or four years ago, no day. So honestly, I don't know how we did that. It wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> the right thing to do. We had less houses. This year, our gap's three days. And if I assess the last changeover, what happened two weeks ago, went all right. Everyone has checked out. They were all cleaned and they all moved in. And the success of a check-in, check-out season probably is two or three weeks afterwards. If there's loud right. noise coming back, you may be not a good job. But if you're if, if the noise isn't so bad, you're okay. So, so far, touch wood, there's not much noise coming back from this time. So, yes, yeah, so, so staffing, just uh, working hard and overtime is the... The, the key to it, really, um, and yet we, uh, from the outside, we always think that you, your your sort of business just continues, trundles along, um, has spikes. Probably when, in my view, when everyone's at home, because it's those holiday periods when they go, well, I'll just finally pick up the tap and and talk to the letting agent about the repair and repairs. That that whole system has changed, hasn't it, over the years? Do you rely on communication skills? Do you know tech? How do you do repairs? We are changing it. So we, we have grown up with WhatsApp, to be honest. So our business grew up with me and Joe managing it. I was at work. Joe was, you know, stay at home, let's say at home, um, very difficult job to, to managing a business on a phone. So Joe, the business was running the phone. WhatsApp was, it was so crucial. So rightly or wrongly, we are wedded to it. So we can get a lot of maintenance comes in, in like that. But the last sort of three months, we've taken on fixed flow, which I think is kind of the industry leading maintenance management system. So the thought process is that, um, a tenant reports maintenance on that system. Um, a photo is required and a description. And with one click, the agent can either refer to landlord, or refer to contractor. One click. As opposed to going, my tap's broken. Which tap? The one in the bathroom. Oh, no, the one by the bath, not the, not, not the basin. Um, when can you, so anyway, it cuts down all of that stuff. Fantastic, yeah. yes. So we're, we're getting used to it, but it feels like it feels like a right thing to do. If you future-proof yourself, that feels like a right thing to do. Yeah. And so coming on to the whole repair thing, you know, one of the things as a landlord is that we have to put a certain amount out to a third of our, our profit, or, um, you know, cash every month away into, um, you know, our jam jar for repairs. Yeah. But there's also that ongoing sprucing up and and maintenance and everything else. Recycle, refurbishment yeah. cycles. Is there such a thing or is this a myth? It's not a, it's not a process in our business and, and it feels like kind of the next evolution of where we need to get to. So, as a letting agent, I increasingly think of myself and our team as business managers. So the, the, the one house or 10 houses is a business and that needs managing, advising on, et cetera. So keeping compliant, finding tenants, that's the sort of the basics. But I think if the investment is a 10, 20, 30 year kind of thought process, then that does need that refurbishment cycle. We're doing a few refurbs for landlord at the moment. The truth is it was reactionary because his houses were taking longer to let each year. So it, it's fairly straightforward. It's not not a major issue. I mean, you've, you've done loads of refurb, so you'll understand that it, it was just it carpets is. and it was a paint and it was some furniture. 
that's that's you know that, that's it. So managing that is a little bit tricky. But I can put a number on it. It was twelve hundred quid for four, to furnish to, to to carpet a four bed house. I mean, it's not great carpet; it's landlord carpet, but it looks lovely. Landlord um, and the paint yeah. job, four bed house, two thousand five hundred pounds. Brilliant, you know. And then furniture that was quite expensive because it just is to furnish, yeah. you know, four bedrooms, a lounge, and a kitchen. That was in the region of three and a half, four, four and a half thousand pounds. So you're knocking on ten thousand pounds for kind of a. There's no structural stuff in there, but to take a house from a three out of ten to a seven out of ten. Kind of, and you're back at the market again. You're back in. You're now competing correctly against against your against your competition, which is the landlord next door. Absolutely, and that is something that I think people can forget. That I, I have to say, I, I, that, that question came up to me because I got a message from one of my agents yesterday saying, you know, that one particular house would like a new carpet, and I, my immediate reaction was, what? Why? She's only just had one, and you know, and I fussed about it and made myself a cup of tea. And then I realised she actually had a carpet 10 years ago. And, you know, to me, that time had gone past in a flash and I hadn't realised it was 10 years. Now, I was quite shocked. But because she lived on her own, you know, she hadn't worn the carpet out to the degree that perhaps a family or students would. So, you know, I think that's something that landlords, when working long term, should put into their system, that they will have to upgrade stuff. Yeah, no, totally. There's a the book I read, I can't remember, I think it's, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, Clockwork Business or something like that. One of the things he said, which sounds really, really obvious now, is create for your business, create a separate bank account for your tax bill and also your profit. So your operational your operational cash is a bank account that sits here, goes up and down, rent comes in, costs go out, blah, blah. But your tax bill always needs to be paid. So get it out of your bank and into a separate bank account and get your profit out of a bank. and into, So you can see these two things. That's my CAC, that, that's my liability, and that's my profit, and that's my operational stuff. And I think uh, we, and we don't do this, but we, our systems do have the potential, have the opportunity, have the... Um, potential to do this we can keep floats for landlords very easily and, and track them very easily so i'm just thinking out loud wouldn't it be a great conversation to a landlord to say as part of our service we can rack up 200 pound a month 100 pound a month for you and keep it safe so whenever not just repairs but for that refurb cycle three to five year refurb cycle you've got three or four grand there how do you want to spend that that is something that and, and i think as a new landlord buying a house that's the last thing you want to be doing because really, you want to think yeah my rent comes in. I've made profit. Great. But it's not. Pro- it's just delayed cost, isn't it? Because you will spend it at some point on something. Yeah. It's not. It's not. You're running away fund on day one. No, is no. It? No. And, and that is that is quite tricky for some people to work out. And, I, you know, I, for instance, work with one agent in the South. And he one of the other things that he offers is you. he will take 100, or I think it's 100 a month until you've got a certain bulk in uh, an account and that's for you for when you're next to needing your tenant find because he had found particularly in the south where rents are so so large that many landlords got themselves into a point when they needed a new tenant but they couldn't afford the tenant yeah. fee and no, who was going to pay yeah totally so, totally really really good example i've got a landlord at the moment who's yeah he's just refilled the house that's gonna cost quite a lot of money yes and and it's not, you know, it's all very well. So take it out of the first month's rent, but that might be several months down the line if there's work going on or everything else. So again, what the agent can almost end up carrying the landlord, which can't no. happen. But going back to this landlord-tenant relationship, do you find that people come to you and go, right now, where do I buy this house that you can rent out for me? Yeah. 
<laughs> it's a good question. It's definitely one that, that should be asked. I think, you know, who, you know, you need to ask your agent. I think I, I would advocate asking, asking agents because they do know where the best houses are and the best yields and all that kind of stuff. The agent challenge is to monetize that question, but that's a separate, <laughs> separate thing. Yeah. Uh, it is. And, and I have to say, I work with agents who, who fully <laughs> yeah. get that. And particularly in, in hotspots up north where they've got southern-based investors who, who need that really important uh, input and they will they will charge for it. And it's great. So yes, I think that's something it comes back to if you are a landlord and you're going into a new area, you should be going and looking to see what a land what a te- letting agent is doing, yeah. shouldn't you? Yeah. And do you think it's important to build up a relationship? You want to know your landlords too, don't you? Yeah, that's that's really, really important. I mean, jo- Joe's, my partner, knows knows our landlords very well and kind of almost in- instinctively knows what they would say yes and no to. So the, the challenge is how right. do you get that information from someone you know, in, in from your head onto paper? You can't do it entirely, ultimately. You can put a number on it, but a number's pretty arbitrary. Well, But yeah, you do need to get... One, one um, landlord of ours, I think, is quite pragmatic about life as well. He would He would say... You can ask someone to do something, but you've got to work together. Just, just because yeah. you are doesn't mean it's going to happen. And so I, th- I think that's where relationships do come into it. So everyone likes working with people they like and not, not like, it's not quite, tro- not quite right. Have a good relationship with, I think. And you're more likely to do a better job for someone that you, you're getting on with, I think. Um, and that yeah. comes down, it's the agent's job to get on, get on with both sides because there's influence. So, I mean, I had to get someone out of a house yesterday Classic example, 10 o'clock last night, said, I'm not going to move tomorrow. At that point, the new tenant was moving in tomorrow. So I called him at 10 o'clock in the morning, said, let's, how are we? And he was asleep. So, oh my God, he's not moving. He's asleep. He's not even moving today. So at that point, the conversation went out to the incoming tenant saying, we may have an issue. We're going to work with it. Anyway, the relationship thing, he, he was a tenant of ours for a year. We have a good relationship. But he took a spanner in the works at the last minute. The landlord didn't know anything about this stuff, by the way. It was just tenant management. These two tenants had to, this yeah. had to happen. So we pulled out stops, yeah. moved in vans, people, da da da. So he he did leave, ultimately happy, happy, but there was a bit of a spike of anxiety, like, oh my goodness, what's gonna happen now? <laughs> <laughs> These guys, the new guys in a car park, in a car with their stuff in it, with nowhere to go. So, oh my gosh. So the relationship thing is really and that, important. And we had to pull on that relationship a bit yesterday. Yes, and it is something that actually, it, it must be very difficult because some, particularly since you're, as you say, you're dealing with students, they don't take on board the fact that actually you, it's not my fault that you've got nowhere to go. It's not my fault you've not got another home. Your tenancy own finishes on that date and that is your yeah. agreement. So yes, gosh, I'm so glad I don't manage tenants. I, I'm a total disaster. Well, you you I did, mean, didn't I, you? I, you did, this is, you? You've I, been there and done it. Yes. And um, and it always ended in badly. I only had to open my mouth. And the tenant immediately collected a whole set, sort of collection of ideas about me that weren't necessarily true. But hey. We've um, got a great, a great um, um, phrase that we've picked up from one of our kind of co- colleagues, I guess, um, that, we, that we like using. It's called... Um, Oh, what is it now? A measured tone. So, the, so things can get quite inflammatory quite quickly. And a way I'm doing this, 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 it's important where you live and how you come. But using a measured tone is quite important. And both landlords and tenants, you sometimes get parents on the on the on the on the phone, obviously saying this is not good enough and sort it now and this is illegal or whatever else. But you know, let's have a conversation. We're we're, we're human too, and let's use yeah. a measured tone when we speak to each other. Absolutely. 
So, <laughs> so what, uh, you know, because we can't sadly talk about lessings all day, which a great joy they would be. What advice would you give to a new landlord who is looking for a new agent, doesn't know anything about it? What should they, how do they open the conversation? What are they looking for? Price, location of an agent? What is it that makes they should be looking for? Good question. Um, I guess the obvious ones like, you know, compliance and that kind of thing. So I guess having a, what you could Google, what questions should you ask? So things like, are you a member of a client money protection scheme? Just the basics. Yes, I am. Which deposit protection scheme do you use? This one. Cool. So that would kind of tick some of the boxes of, you know, okay, you sort of know what you're doing. You know, you're regulated. You know, which ombudsman are you with, for example? So those were kind of tick the compliance boxes. Why, why? Yes, you say that, but you see, there are. I still, I'm still coming across agents yeah. who aren't. Yeah. So they, those are actually absolutely key questions for those who are entering the whole property investment arena. Is know know what you, as a, a lessing agent, needs to be a member of, so that you can make a yeah. wise choice. It's, it's, I think it's a quite hard one because there's there's lots of different age, types of agents, aren't there? There's a, a one man band yeah. agent, you know, and I definitely have been there, and. I guess the landlord will have to ask themselves, am I going to get a good service because I'm quite important to this person or I'm going to get a bad service because this person doesn't, hasn't quite got the experience that they maybe could have on one side of things. And then they've got those, so the, the internationals like um, Sequence and all those guys. Very process driven. The person they start with on day one might not be there in six months. And, and if that's okay, that's okay. And, and I think where, the, where we do quite well is that we can compete with both of those things because we can compete with sequence because it will be me or Joe or my team that kind of could kind of answer it. And we're still new, eager and all this kind of stuff. But we have been around a block a few times. Yes. So, so I think, but also we can't compete with the regionals, you know, leaders and what we can't compete with they because they, they're, they're not, they're not national, but they're regional. So I think there's about three or four, probably about four different types of agent. And I think they're all viable. They're all fine. It's just who do you, who are you, who are you comfortable with? I, I think we, we're a good model for a lot of people. And I think that's vital. I think that you raised a really good point about that is that you've got to know exactly what kind of agent. It's not necessarily just where they are, but the type of agent you want. So down south, I, my my one-man band who I'd had for 15 years was bought out by uh, you know one of the market franchises. And you know that wasn't a great start to my new relationship until I discovered they'd actually taken on the old staff. So I still had that relationship with proper people that I knew really well, and and it's you know and that's been fine. Whereas my northern houses in Stoke, it's run by someone I've known for twenty years. You know, very much a family business, and they've got people there who I know by name. I can go in and talk to, um, and I like. But I do, I do have a few with a national chain, and that is like something totally different. You get letters from Winchester telling me about price increases in Stoke, and. Yeah, you've got to you've got to know what you're dealing with, haven't you? Oh, have, have you got have you got a pref- preference? I mean, it sounds like you've obviously used agents yes. a, a lot with different types as well. But have you got a preference? Yeah, I have. It's called the family business. I mean, is, it, is it unusual that a family business has been there 25? I mean, maybe it's not, but do you can see yourself? Is that unusual or? or, or, or? Well, I don't know, you see, because that was that was my experience from day one. And of course, again, we tend to base that. But Jeremy, his RSM in the army left the army and set up a letting agency. And he had dust behind the eyeballs, this man. He was he was the ultimate sort of white glove. Everything was processed. Nothing phased him. Bombs could go off and he was still doing stuff. It was great. So that was my baseline knowledge. And then I used a variety of other things, but have found myself, if I've gone slightly into something new territory 
going back to the family-run business that know their area inside out. Generations might change, their staff might change, but fundamentally, everyone knows that's where you're going to rent a house from or whatever, and that works. And yes, of course, there are frustrations because you have sometimes I, I had to wait through a generation change on one occasion, and and you know things sometimes they're resistant to change, but fundamentally it is how is it working for me and is that what I want? Yeah, isn't it? yeah. I like people, and and I like to be able to pick up the phone and go, oh, you sent me an email, I don't understand a word of it. You know, what am I doing? You know, and all that kind of stuff because that that I'm not interested really in that side of my business. That's where I have professionals for, and you come under heading of professionals, so they will then talk me through what they're doing, and I go, yep, fine, okay. How much do you want me to pay? And that's about as much I want to know. Whereas I know that other people are much much more involved, and they would want lots of different things happening in quotes and whatever. I believe what I'm being told, you know, if I trust an agent and they're saying this has to happen and it's going to cost this much, I'm happy with that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think, I think some of our, if I look at the sort of the profile of our landlords, we've got, you know, some, some sort of portfolio, big student landlords and some ones, ones and twos. And it's the, the four or five portfolio types, I think, do appreciate the ability to do that on the phone, get the owner or the kind of manager and, and stuff. And speak to someone who also is a landlord. So I think that probably helps have a one-to-one yes, kind of conversation. Helps. And I don't think that, that can really happen at a, a, a national. I mean, I talked to these big landlords about interest rates, you know, and and, yeah. and this legislation. And we just we just chew the fat a bit sometimes. And what, how do we deal with this? You know, and we that's I think that as I feel like a consultant in that respect. But I think that's good, not good service. That's not quite a service, but it's it's a relationship that you can offer. To, to those types of landlords. You can't have that conversation 50 times over every month, but you can have it with a few nope. people who are more interested. It's, the, it's, it's their core business. These landlords, it's their core business. It's what they need to know and talk about. Ones and twos landlords probably got a second job. and a, 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 So not as important, but yeah, you, you can offer quite a, a, your opinion and your insight and things like that. And I think that's that's the sort of thing that we can offer. Yes, I mean, I, I've got one, one agent who I think I spoke to three times in 10 years. Yeah. I was really quite happy. And that was for a same flat, fire, flood, and bed bugs. So, you know, that was the three, three times. And so I got to the point, if Mike rang me, I went, oh, oh no, it's one of the Mike, three. What's, what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. What's going on now? So, yeah, absolutely. It's, it is, it's what you want as a, um, uh, a landlord. You've got to find the agent that works for you because it's a really, really important relationship. Yeah. Because you are actually collecting the rent on our behalf. And there is a hideous statistic about how much rent doesn't get passed on to landlords who don't notice. Landlords, if you're listening, always check your statements. I know from personal experience that the majority of people who I was working with never opened their bank statements from less yeah. agents. They just assumed yeah. it had flown into the bank. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it is the, it is the right name. It's certainly in the top one, probably top one. It's the, it's the number one thing that an agent should do, collect and pass on the rent, isn't it? Um, but doing yes. that for one or two houses is fine. Doing it for 170 or, or something and six for seven tenants, that's that's quite a skill. You've got to be pretty good at doing that, collecting X millions of pounds a year and by penny knowing where it's gone. And that in itself can catch some agents out, I think. I mean, you, you hear deposit, yes, and deposits what going have, missing and things yeah. like that. But the cash flow, man, you know, yeah, just, cash flow management, absolutely vital. And the fact that you notice when it hasn't come in. Yeah. Oh, and 
you know, all that whole process of how do you tell the naughty tenant that he's got to pay? Again, this 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 probably second to deposits that one. How do you do that? So they definitely know they've not paid because we, you know, they definitely know that. I can't reach into their bank and get it though. There's a limit to what I can do. You know, I can talk to go on tours, I can send letters, and I can all this all this good stuff. And eventually, it might get to some sort of legal process. Students, you don't want to be evicting them because they're there for twelve months, and it might be one out of five. So let's deal with that one. Um, but yeah, how, how do you do? And where you know, where, where does the, the obligation to, to meet your you know your contract with the landlord? Where does that stop? Well, I've told him we haven't paid. I've chased them three times. The guarantor knows. He said no. What do you want to do? You're a victim? No, no, can't do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that is a conversation that many people don't think that they should or ever have to have. And no, to me as a landlord, I have a process and I, my process is known to my agents and they will communicate to me pretty quickly if something hasn't happened and go, right, over to you. What are you doing? And I go, thank you very much. I If I need something, I'll come back to you. It's a two-way process because you get paid by the tenant as well in that place, you know, through the management fee. So it is absolutely vital that we all have the same idea about the fact that it isn't something that's acceptable, no rent paid, but the landlord does know that they have to do something about it. They have to have a process in place. What's your process? I guess you have a decision, don't you, depending on the circumstances, but... Yep, yes. Um, well, I very much go, well, you know, when you've gone, you've, ex- you've gone through the list of, you know, written to the various people, it's clear they haven't paid, they haven't come back with a real reason. Um, very rarely yeah. this has happened. I will go straight to CCJ. And that's just, I always send my warning notices and everything else, partly just to say, look, I'm not going to let you get away with it. You better talk to my agent because they're the nice guys. I'm not. Do you CCJ at the same time as Section 8? Or is it a separate, nope. separate thing? Separate thing, but very rarely. I don't think I've ever evicted, funnily enough, on grounds of non-payment. People try to hide, but I would make it pretty clear that no, I'm. You know, I don't want to evict anyone because that's an effort, and I got to put new people in. I would rather solve the problem of the non-payment and then move on. During COVID, we had a collection of people who couldn't pay quickly, but they did come back and pay eventually. They're still in my houses. They didn't move out. I didn't evict them. They had a glitch. And everyone, I think, can have a problem in their lives. And it's just how you manage it. But you know, my agent knows I will CCJ. Fairly early on, before before Section oh, 18. Gosh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. And if, 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 if arrears persist and that claim needs to go up, I guess you can, mend, you can mend that claim and increase that CCJ amount as you go. Yep, yep. I'm just telling someone straight away, I'm not going to put okay. up with this. Yeah. This is a legal obligation. That's my house. You're supposed to be paying me rent. Yeah, it's not, it's not a freebie. Um, and I also feel the fact that I'm doing this separately allows my agents to feel that I'm taking their work seriously yeah. as well. You know, they, they've done their bid. I'm not now going to blame them. I'm going, right, okay, this is where I step yeah. in. Okay. No, so that's, that's interesting to know, actually. We don't do it that often, CCJC, but we, I mean, like you, like you, we don't often in Section 8 either. No. But it is a rare thing, but the process yeah. is there and I will do it. Yeah. And often people, as soon as they get that first notice, that's where I'm going. Funny how the rent suddenly yeah. appears. And all I'm telling you then, then really is if you want to take holiday next year, you better save up for it. Don't think you're going to take my rent and then save up for it. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It does feel like it's a choice not to pay rather than because money will have been spent, will it have been spent in the right place, yeah. i.e. on the roof over your head, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I put that into place after the first time when I was very soft hearted and I went into the house and found they had the biggest aquarium known to man. And I thought, if you can feed, have an aquarium getting 24 hours a day, you can pay me my rent. Well, we could talk all day, Chris, but we're not allowed because you've got a job to do and I must get this off. Yeah. But thank you very much. All I can say for those listening is make sure you get to know your letting agent because it will pay you dividends. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Property Solopreneur with me, Rachel Troughton. If you've enjoyed this episode, do hit subscribe and kindly leave a review and share this podcast with anyone you think it would help on their property journey. If you'd like to get hold of my guide for building a successful property business, go to racheltroughton.com forward slash checklist. We only live one life. So let's get your dream a reality through building a profitable property business. If you found my stories inspiring and my content useful, then come find out more about my mentoring and strategy sessions by going to www.racheltroughton.com and book a discovery call with me. The banner link is on every page. Come and create and grow your own property business. That's the shortcut to success.